0: This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome, welcome, welcome to talk of politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and I am so grateful to have a place to talk about important stuff. You know, we talk about faith, we talk about politics, and there's a lot going on in our world right now. And I'm just really grateful to have folks that are accomplished, uh, mostly people that are coming goodwill and good faith, and we get to talk about it together. It is an honor to be a part of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. And hey, I need you. I need you to leave a review, especially on Apple. Good or bad, Apple dominates the podcast market. And if we don't have enough reviews on Apple, we just don't get ranked where we should. So look us up anywhere by typing in "Talking Politics," T-A-L-K-I-N apostrophe Politics, and our purple logo should come up. Um, so again, talking without the G, and uh, politics. And of course, tell a friend. So, you can argue with them and then listen to some more episodes of this and figure out how to argue even better. Anyway, all of that helps get the word out so more people can participate in the conversation like the one we're having today with, let me put it this way. Screen door slams, Lisa's dress sways, lack like of vision, she dances. I've never sung on this podcast, by the way. So, why did I introduce my new friend, Lisa Camuso Miller, that way? Why did I do that? <laughs>
1: I love you even more for it, though.
0: <laughs> i have never sung? <laughs> I used to sing like Sting. I used to I used to be able to sing really well. Now I sing like Johnny Cash, if I'm lucky.
1: <laughs> oh, that's not true. You sound pretty good, Corey.
0: Oh, uh, thank you, dear. Um, so Lisa Camuso, she really is my new friend. Um, Lisa Camuso Miller has been a notable communications leader for over 20 years in local, state, and federal government posts, political campaigns, and committees, as well as advocacy organizations. She is the host and producer of a a really good podcast i've just been listening i first came across it when i was doing research for a a guest that we had on this show um it's called the friday reporter uh really easy to uh, to look up she's had some great guests on there lisa is a partner at reset public affairs and prior to that position she served as the head of media affairs for the american coalition for clean coal electricity she was previously deputy communications director for the u.s secretary of commerce and the and the u.s speaker of the house She served as head of communications for the Republican National Committee in 2007. And prior to her time in Washington, DC, Lisa served under two New Jersey governors where she participated in the recovery and rebuilding efforts following the attacks on September 11th. And most notably, as I've already indicated, Lisa is a Jersey girl. (laughs) <laughs> so nice to have
1: my me most in. famous accolade and my most favorite
0: <laughs> absolutely um yeah i was I, we were just before i hit record i was just listening to jersey girl the bruce uh, a great rendition live rendition so uh my heart is a flutter <laughs> so i love it you grew up um uh, near Bricktown or or no, As you actually grew up near Asbury Park, right?
1: One town over from Asbury Park. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> my dad, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my grandparents, they were all, and they, some of them still are there. There's a mm. few left in Asbury Park. Uh, of course, the race riots and all the things that happened in the late 60s uh, really hit the cities in our state um, and really all across the country so hard that there was a big migration uh, for, for a lot of immigrants to move west from where some of those uh, communities were really challenged. And that's really sort of my story. Of course, I went to a school in Ocean Township, which is, like I said, it's a exit 7A off the parkway, uh, not that far from Great, Advan- Great Adventure, where I know you probably spent a little bit of your youth. I did. Um, and, and, you know, went really far away to go to college. I went to Trenton State. <laughs> and I was a for four years and uh, worked in the Capitol, worked for two governors. I worked for Christy Todd Whitman. And uh, if you remember, Corey, I um, I worked for also the Senate president uh, because the way the Constitution in New Jersey was written at the time, if the governor vacates the chair or leaves town, the Senate president acts as the governor. So Christy oh. Whitman became EPA she, EPA commissioner, there. yeah. And, and Dondi Francesco, who was the longest serving Republican uh, Senate president, um, became the acting governor. And during that time, he was the acting governor for a full 12 months. Uh, 9-11 happened. And so I was literally his traveling body person, like the, you know, carrying his, carrying his, uh, his briefing and, and and, you know, all those things. And, and, and there we were. Um, so it was like probably the most, uh, life changing moments. Like if I have to look back on something and say like, that really was a moment. It's how I got to Washington. And I, I swore I was coming for two years, Corey, and I've been here for 22
0: how about that? So take me back a little bit. You said you went to Trenton State and, you know, did some uh, some more studies after that um, at Trent State. What is it called now? Uh, college of College
1: in, Jer- in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So did you decide, you know, you graduated from Ocean High School uh, and then did you decide before you got to college that you wanted to study government, po- you know, political theory? Like what did you have any sense of this or is it something that you came to discover through your college years?
1: So I I I I don't not even sure how it happened but when I went to Wayside School in the 5th grade we moved to Motionport uh I somehow found myself elected to be the vice president of my 5th grade class with my good friend <laughs> Jeff who was the president and 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 all of that time I went to middle school and there was not a lot of student government there when I went to high school um I had a friend who was a senior at the time and she said, you know, campaigning actually is, is really helpful and really can be great for um, for you to run for class officer. So I went to the little, uh, I mean, you remember these all these little sort of vendors that we had in New Jersey, but there was a small like candy vendor that I went to and I bought five cent lollipops and I bought 300 of them. And I literally stapled a little uh, a note to them, vote Lisa Camuso. And I handed those lollipops out every year for four years of high school, and I loved it. I got to shake hands with people that like I wouldn't ordinarily check in with. Everybody loves a lollipop, especially <laughs> in high school. You know, I mean, like, you know, you, can, you, you, you could definitely mask the bad decisions you were making when you were hitting the bathroom. You know, like, and then you pop a lollipop from Lisa Camuso. So, um, but so I I always really enjoyed that part of. Politic, politics, politics—not the, you know, defend your honor and and be on the good side, but the whole like meeting up and talking to people about what they cared about. And I went to school at Trenton State, and I was a communication and theater major. So I did not major in political science. I mm. loved the art of of communicating. I uh, I will never forget my first public speaking class. Dr. Paul Fry was my professor, and he charged us twenty five cents for any time we said the word um. Or, uh, or like at the end of my first public speak in public speech in college, I owed him like $4 and 25 (laughs) cents. That's actually pretty good. (laughs) That's real real money for a college kid in 1991 though. Um, So I never forgot it, Corey. And so honestly, like I I love the I love the people part of politics. I love connecting with people, working with them. And so as much as I've always been in political communication, it's a marriage of the two. And I feel I count myself very lucky because plenty of people go to college and don't necessarily end up in that work space. So I I love what I do.
0: Have you ever been early enough on a campaign and close enough to a campaign like perhaps uh, Governor Whitman's second term? Uh, where you were doing the diners, the Manalpin Diner, the, you know, the from going diner to diner, like, like they do. Absolutely. We we all watch it on TV with Iowa, but, you know, I, I would imagine you're going county to county in, in uh, gubernatorial ca- campaigns as well.
1: Absolutely. I ran a race in 1999 for uh, the New Jersey Assembly. And in the assembly, the way it works is that there's a senator for each district and there's two assembly people for each district in New Jersey. And that's the way that's structured. And I ran the race in 1999 for my home district where I lived. And I went to everything. I was, and it it really cracked me up, Corey. And you know this best because you're from where I am from. Uh, On any given day, you can walk into the diner and run into either someone you're related to (laughs) or someone you went to school with. I used to (laughs) laugh because my mother was in the teachers' union. And she used to get the mail at home for the Democratic candidates. Mm -hmm. And then I would fax them in to the coordinated headquarters for all campaigns. And it would say Camuso on it, but it would not be my name and it would be for the opposition. And they said, I love the most that I get all of the opposition mail with your name, with your last name on it, knowing full well it's arriving right in your house. Yeah. Um, But that that politics and that connection, like meeting with people and hearing people out. um, It can be frustrating because people do have great concerns. But I also feel like, too, that hearing them out and then being able to go to the state capitol and then deliver on that promise is to me, I mean, it's what it's what we grew up knowing politics to be. It has evolved and changed so much over time. And, And it's to our detriment, I think, as a country. But to me, that's why I got into it, because of, you know, sitting down and chatting with people and getting to know what it is they need, what kinds of things that elected officials can help solve for them.
0: Yeah, now you said your mom, but my parents uh, were in the teachers union as well, but they were in New York City, Um, drove in, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on the day. My mom was a longtime teacher in uh, Staten Island, 35 years. My dad was inner city. He was a teacher part, uh, early part of his career, then a guidance counselor, and ultimately helped to start the um, conflict resolution program for the the chancellor of schools. Uh, But so we have a lot in common there. Long time Democrats because they were good union people, uh, yeah. but I, I found that, um, and I'm just a little bit older than you, so I found that I was more drawn to the politics of uh, um, Alex P. Keaton than my parents. I was more the yeah. Alex P. Keaton in my family. You know, <laughs> I was a little bit more conservative, and then especially the last governor uh, when I still lived in Jersey was uh, Governor Whitman. Um, she ultimately came on the show. At what point did you find yourself gravitating? But that was a certain kind of Republican, by the way. It's a very different Republican than what's happening actually right now as we speak in the House. They're voting for us. So what drew you to um, uh, Republican politics?
1: You know, I think growing up my elected state senator was a great man joe Pelea. he himself was a teacher for many 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 years uh, i had known him from the time that i was a very young uh, student of of politics and and just admired the work that he did he was so well regarded in our in our community as someone that just sort of saw around the corner and saw opportunity for people and he was an elected republican From Monmouth County, New Jersey. And so um, that's really what drew me into the party because of that great um, desire and need and and want he had for for making sure that people got taken care of and people were, you know, well cared for through the legislative process and through all those means. So that's how I kind of fell into it. What's funny, though, Corey, is to fast forward. I'm working as the communications director for the Republican National Committee in 2007, and I'm working for a man named Mel Martinez, who is a U.S. senator from Florida. And typically, as part of my job, I invite um, other either thought leaders or newsmakers to have lunch and connect with our uh, spokesperson for the party. So it's Mel Martinez, U.S. senator, and Britt Hume from Fox News. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm a kid from New Jersey, Asbury Park, New Jersey. And I'm asked to join the lunch. And I'm thinking, I better, my father always used to joke, like, (laughs) you can catch a fool when they're talking. So (laughs) my approach approach to this lunch was to diligently eat my salad, whatever. (laughs) And Senator Martinez gets called away for a vote. So Martinez has to leave. Oh no! And this kid, 20, 30, how old was I? 30 some years old, early 30s, uh, sitting across from Brit Hume gets asked the same question. How does a girl from New Jersey become a Republican? And that's really when I got back to, to all of the foundations of what I'd known. I told them my story about Senator Joe Pelleya. I told them my story about how I had worked on lo- in local politics. And that's the community that I grew up in was supported by great strong Republican candidates who were pro small business, who were pro, uh, you know, all of the things that I fundamentally believed in, right? Making sure that that government did what it needed to do to support you, but also stayed out of the way. And mm. so me, the kid from New Jersey, sitting across from Brit Hume to this day, I still laugh thinking, I, I don't know how that happened. But life is a lot about, circumstance right and being in an opportunity like that I I look back now and I say well you know it all worked out for the best
0: (laughs) that's the expression uh better to remain silent and let people wonder if you're a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt (laughs) (laughs) I've done that many many times before we move on I wanted to tell you about something else that's important Money. (laughs) Uh, Specifically your money. In all seriousness, I wanted to tell you about my advisor and my friend, George Meza. George runs Meza Wealth Management. And with George, it's not just about money. It's about helping us manage our present and plan for our future. And unlike a lot of other firms out there, George and I actually have a relationship. He knows me, he knows my family, and I know his wonderful family. I also know his firm and the incredible team he's put together from his chief investment officer to some of the other great people in his office, like Jessica, their head of operations that are always there to help me and with all aspects of our portfolio. You see, the thing is, I got a lot going on. I guess we all got a lot going on and I don't have the time to watch our investments all day, every day. And even if I did, I don't have the experience and expertise that George's team collectively has. So we get the entire Mesa Wealth Management team all their expertise and all their integrity and again it's based on george knowing me personally knowing my goals and even the kind of risk that's appropriate for me to take which by the way could change from one season to the next and they're on top of all of that so if you want george meza and meza wealth management to be on your team just visit their website mezawealth.com that's m-e-z-a wealth.com www.mezawealth.com And that will also be in our show notes. So you can check that and now back to our show. So you, when you started to develop a, an expertise as a communications person, how did that come about? Was it something that just kind of organically emerged as you were on more campaigns and part of more uh, staffs? How did that all come about?
1: I think a lot of it is exactly as you've you've said. I mean, a lot of it is is experience, right? I worked for uh, the acting governor of New Jersey, who also was a gubernatorial candidate for about six months of the time that I worked with him. Uh, So we were on the campaign trail. I found myself in the back of the room often taking notes about how speeches were unfolding, what was working, what was not working, um, and identifying sort of ways to connect with the audience uh, in a way that was really of interest to me. I thought that that was really cool. But when I moved to Washington, Uh, As you well know, a kid from New Jersey, uh, we're not necessarily known as being a a bright red bastion of of Republican support. So there were only spots for a few of us in the Bush administration. So when I arrived on the scene, I was lucky enough to be a White House liaison for the US Department of Commerce. And I did that for one year, which was the best, best opportunity of my lifetime because that's a job where you're constantly interviewing uh, candidates for various uh, appointed positions inside the building. And I was lucky enough to meet the soon to be new director of public affairs as he was coming through. And I was shepherding his paperwork and helping him through the process of getting, you know, an appointment into the, into the administration. And when he looked up, he said, I have no deputy in this office. And so he came back to the White House liaison's office and he asked my counterpart, who, what great communications background person do we have like in the stable? And she said, you know, I have to tell you the truth, Lisa, who just processed all your paperwork, she comes, she's from New Jersey. She's actually a communications professional. And he said, you're hired. And it was like the luckiest opportunity of my life. But I look back on that and I said, what made you think that I was the right person for the job? He said, of all the people that I met in government, as I'm coming through the processes, you were the one that just said, even if there was an obstacle, you said, we're going to figure it out. And he said, I love that. I love being that kind of you know, taking that kind of approach, but that goes back to the way New Jersey is like we've always got a guy. We've always got a way to figure it out. Right. I mean, if if your car breaks down, I got a guy. If, you need a, guy. if you need a pizza Friday night, I got a guy like and I don't mean that to be sort of vernacular and silly about uh, the way that New Jersey does their thing. But I do love that it's very much about your connections with people. And that goes back to my original point and how I kind of got into this in the first place. So that's really how I got lucky enough to get my first break. Um, and lucky enough that he and I actually worked so well together that I then followed him to the speaker's office. I worked for the Speaker of the House uh, from 2005 until 2007.
0: So remind me, who was Speaker? That So that was pre-Pelosi.
1: Dennis Hastert.
0: Oh Hastert, the yep. infamous Hastert rule, which we could use a little bit more of right now, right?
1: The accidental speaker, which very well be might be what happens when we finally arrive uh, here in Washington D.C. on whoever the next candidate is for the for that that role.
0: Uh, you know what? Uh, by the way, since you're from Jersey, I'm rooting yep. for some kind of um, uh, summit between the heads of the Problem Solvers Caucus. You can't you can't nominate. Um, Josh Gottheimer, he's the Democrat. Because it is, albeit slight, it is a slightly majority Republican House. So you take um from Pennsylvania one, Fitzpatrick. So you take Brian Fitzpatrick, the the Republican co-head of the problem solvers caucus. And uh, you know, you might have to give give some things to the your Democratic colleagues, but actually treating them like the loyal opposition and your colleagues as opposed to arch enemies, um, I don't know, that may be Maybe we'll come out of the uh, wilderness and figure our way through that.
1: I sure hope so. And, you know, there was a glimmer of hope just a few weeks back before this nonsense happened with sending McCarthy packing the the way that the uh, continuing resolution got passed here in Washington was through a coalition of support with Republicans and Democrats to right. get it passed and out. And that, of course, was ultimately what sent the speaker home, or at least out of the speaker's office. And, and to me, that was a glimmer of hope. Like, that's the way we used to do it. We used to work together. We used, I mean, it should be a bipartisan agreement that our job as members of Congress is to keep the government functioning and open, right? Um, and so I, I am hopeful, as you say, I mean, the problem solvers to me are the kind of uh, reasonable voice in a time when reasonable is not necessarily uh, what we're working with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Did you ever like pinch yourself and say, how, what the heck? Like,
1: how the hell did I get here? Like Every single single day. Yeah. Every single day. And the day that it stops becoming like, I can't believe I get to do this for a living is the day that I go home and I don't go back to it. Because I mean, really, you know, I mean when you come to Washington DC, as much as, you know, you see the iconic photos of the dome and the, and the, uh, the monument, the truth of it is, is as you're driving into the building and parking your car right outside of the dome, it still takes your breath away. Every day you do it, you know, like how I get to do this job every day. And you have to remember that the job is bigger than you.
0: My buddy has been living there since around 1997. Yeah. He went to law school in 93 or 94, um, yeah, that must be it. He went. He he went to ninety four. Came up from Miami, and I think ninety seven worked for the government. Uh, but he's still an attorney there. Great, great guy. Just a wonderful, wonderful human being with a wonderful family. My buddy Steve Cohen. Every time I go to visit him, I find myself just walking the mall. Um, yeah. Not the not the mall, not like the you know Freehold Raceway Mall, but like the actual mall with the Washington That's Monument, right, the National
1: and, Mall, of course. Yeah. And it's still, I mean, every year there's something new that's added, there's a new Smithsonian, there's a new monument to something that that we should all be remembering, um, especially in those time, these times when things are so tumultuous and kind of off the wall, like we'd never thought they would be. Yeah. Um, you know, you walk the mall and it does remind you that like, this is all a lot bigger than than each of us you know yeah and it's a, cool, it's a great city it really is a great city it's evolved and changed so so much since i got here i used to have to get on the train and go to new york to get a great italian meal <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're getting better
0: i'm in california so i haven't had decent bagels since the last time i was in new york i let alone pizza i mean you know good good sushi really good sushi so if you're ever out here I'll introduce yeah. you to do really good sushi. I'll get you some really good Mexican food, but they don't know. know bagels from a hole in a wall, like so a hole in a bagel. <laughs> them, you know,
1: <laughs> it's part of it's part of the it's the toll my friends take. So when my friends friends come to visit, regardless who it is from New Jersey, they always call ahead of time and say, "What's your order?" And they'll stop at the <laughs> hop Bagel Bakery and they'll grab me two ba- two dozen bagels, and my ba- my freezer is you know slice them up and freeze them up, and they're good to go. At one point, though, one of my teenagers was like helping herself to one every day, and I was like, "What? Wait, hold up a second. The bakery <laughs> is not in the freezer." <laughs>
0: right, that's funny. I have to admit, like one of the first things I'll do once we land uh, in Jersey. So sometimes we'll fly into Philly, sometimes we'll fly into uh, Newark. Is uh, I got to hit a Wawa. <laughs> oh yeah, there's nothing like Wawa, especially in the cold.
1: Oh, the Wawa hoagie is a, it's a hangover fixer. Talk about, you could have a pork <laughs> roll egg and cheese or you could have a Wawa hoagie. I mean, any of those will fix whatever else you.
0: Yeah. So speaking of relationships, I am absolutely in awe of who you've been able to bring on the Friday Reporter. Like just, you know, looking at the last uh, few months at the beginning of this year, Dana, Perin, like you, so, okay. Can we geek out about podcasting for a second?
1: Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Is it,
0: is it relationship based that you're able to get such and feel free to like list some of your favorites, but is it relationship based that you're able to get such impressive guests on the Friday reporter?
1: You know, when you, um, the funny part about this town is, is my social group. My social set of friends is, is political communicators and reporters. Um, and it's and that's grown over time. It, it wasn't like that when I first arrived in town, but at, being here 22 years, when you work in the Speaker's office, uh, Jim Mills from Fox News comes and sits. If you don't call him back quick enough, he comes and sits at your desk until you're ready to give him <laughs> a comment about what it is that's happening. The Speaker has that day, um, and so because the Capitol is so, uh, it's like a college campus. You run into your friends all the time. Uh, that I got to know some of the most remarkable journalists in the country. Um, And so through those relationships, every single one of them, every single one of my early guests, I, and even now to this day, Corey, even with you, I ask for a recommendation. I always say, who should I talk to next? And that, So of the 126 episodes that I've had on the show, I've got a list of another probably 135 other people that I'm eventually going to reach out to. And not everybody says yes, just like anything else. You know how this is, you know, they've got a conflict. They've got, I had one person say like, I've got a little kid and I've got a demanding job. Check in with me in six months. And And I always do. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But the best part about some of these relationships is that they do tend to, build off of one another. So when I talk to Paul Kane from the Washington Post about January 6th, uh, he will recommend uh, someone not in our our small circle of friends that I know. He'll try to recommend somebody that's new and young, that's an up-and-comer that maybe I haven't had a chance to meet yet. And some of those conversations are the most fun because those are journalists then, Corey, that I can, when I have a client who cares about an issue that's in their... um, in their beat or in their sort of their area of expertise, I'll check in with them, you know? And that too is also a nice way to introduce myself to them, give them a little bit of promotion for who they are. Cause a lot of these guys are working on clicks and awareness of who they are too. Um, But it makes it that much more fun because some of these young journalists are dynamos. I mean, they are really, they're so bright and smart and it's so fun to watch them grow and expand and just become, you know, names of their own that ordinarily you wouldn't necessarily be paying attention to.
0: Speaking of which, one of my favorite conversations over the last few months was a rising star reporter. You know, kind of an old school reporter, but uh, I don't. Mariana, her name is Mariana Alfaro with uh, the Washington Post. She's just incredible, incredibly inquisitive, um, sharp, uh, creative, resourceful. I, I learned a lot just from from talking to her. You know, because she went to school. Uh, whatever. I I don't want to say how many decades after, you know, my contemporaries were in school, but just hearing her perspective on how to do the news, you know, Mm -hmm. and and part of it is just really encouraging because it gives me hope that there's a future to this profession that that, uh, you and I both care about so much, Lisa. So Mm -hmm. uh, I bet some of your best friends are journalists.
1: Some of my very best friends are journalists. What's funny about being, and this may be true of where you are in California too, because I know you've got lots of industries out where you are. Uh, I used to joke when I took my kids on field trips through school, uh, when I was sitting next to my friends that also had kids in the class who were journalists and lobbyists and maybe even an elected somebody or rather, I used to say we should maybe figure out how to expense this, right? Like let's order a meal for everyone and call this a a meeting Um, because this is as big as Washington DC seems from the outside looking in, it actually really is a small town. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, it amazes me how much there's an intersection between Republicans and Democrats and and lobbyists and legislators and, and journalists it's really neat um and i feel like too it makes my kids better for that too because they have a better appreciation for for the work that people do and they understand it better
0: yeah so how did you learn the podcast medium because it's a really excellent show it's well done well produced the conversations are really engaging and fun and you know listen sometimes you're talking about so what do we wear now post pandemic or the makeup you know so sometimes you have these great um subjects uh how did you learn the medium and then, how do you curate what you're going to talk about over the course of the next several weeks?
1: It evolves over time, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. There was a lot of YouTube in the early days. <laughs> I mean, I was I started the show in March of 21, so we'd been home for a year, uh, and I have a business that really requires me to be out and about, shaking hands and visibility in a way that I'm not particularly comfortable on social media. Just Humble bragging about nonsense, you know, check me out on TV or check me out over here. It's just not something that I'm really comfortable doing. So I started to think about what kind of interesting content could I provide that would be good for people to see and, and you know, would be relevant. And I texted a friend of mine who's a journalist now. He actually is the founder of Pluribus which is a uh, more state-focused publication than, uh, than national publication. His name is Reed Wilson. He was a columnist for The Hill newspaper. He was at, he's was he been at a dozen fantastic uh, other news outlets, but he now is the head uh, honcho at Pluribus.us. And what Reed's concept is um, is that whatever happens in the States ultimately ends up being what bubbles up in Washington DC. And so we wanted to chase those issues as they are emerging in your local community and my local community and, and aggregate them and then help share them with people that are paying attention to how those issues are going to make their way to Washington. And so I called Reed and I said, if I were to do a show, a podcast, uh, would you do the show? And he said, yes. I said, and you know, look, after three weeks when nobody, but my father listens to it, uh, we can laugh over a beer that wasn't it fun when Lisa tried to start a podcast. Uh, (laughs) Fortunately, that was not the case, but I had asked advice of my other journalist friends who are radio people. What soundboard should I use? What microphone should I buy? What uh, kind of headset should I wear? And uh, by where I mean, use to hear. Um, but so all of that to say, like all of those early pieces of advice came from journalist friends of mine. And then I just went on YouTube and I thought, how do I do this thing? How do I start a podcast? Uh, I used a platform that helped me get, you know, to all of the platforms, help me get certified through Apple. And boy, the day I got on Apple was like, I was ready to throw a party. I was so excited. <laughs> Hallelujah! You, feel like, you yeah. feel like you've arrived, right? Cause like yeah. you can get yourself on Spotify, you can get yourself on uh, all the other platforms, but Apple has a little bit of a lag time as opposed to all the rest. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, so it, to me, it's, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. Um, But I've taught myself And so far I still do all the editing. I still do all the social around it. Sooner or later, I hope someday to get an intern that wants to help my uh, older than 50 year old self figure out how to (laughs) do some more social on it. Um, But you asked about how I could come up with the ideas, Corey. And the truth of it is, is that in the beginning of the fall of this year, I was feeling like my journalist friends were so covered up and so incredibly busy with, I mean, we're all paying attention to the news. It's breathless. Every single day, something gigantic happens. It's not even like, you know, bus catches dog or, you know, s- the silly things that typically we used to watch on the nightly news. It's big stuff, right? I mean, like, my goodness, it's like it's Hamas and Israel. It's it's all of these like really like just a huge issues that are all consuming. And with news media being as as busy as it is and as, as challenged as it is every day, it made it even more difficult for me to be able to lock in my guests as quickly as I would want them. But also too, while that was also happening, I was getting more and more pitches from people saying, Lisa, you've got to meet this great lobbyist female friend of mine who just produced this Herculean legislative action that like nobody could have done except her because she's just so well sourced and so well uh, regarded. Would you have her on the show? You bet had her on the show. It was so fun that I thought, why am I limiting myself just to journalists? Yeah. So I put up a note and I, you know, sort of let, let the universe know that I was open to pitches. Here comes Corey Nathan. <laughs> Here comes my my guest in two weeks is a is an author who wrote a book about, you know, raising kids to be uh respectful in politics because he had worked in politics like I had. So there's all of these other cool conversations uh that are really a lot like what you and I've been doing for most of our life anyway. And that's networking. Yeah. So, um, as I started to think about the fall, I started to think like a lot of the coaching I do is how do you look? How do you appear? How do you make sure your messages get through? And that always comes back to appearance more for women than for men. But that's why I asked my friend Margaret Lilly to do my show a couple of weeks ago. Cause I was like, nobody can figure out what to wear. <laughs> COVID, that, COVID, has, Covid has us all in sweatpants, uh, and s- sweatpants are frowned upon if you're in the U.S. Capitol or really just about anywhere. I, by the, the
0: way, Paris. I was thinking of you this morning when I put on this shirt. I'm like, oh, she's gonna, Lisa's gonna see me, and uh, I better put on at least a decent shirt that you know, you know there's semi irons. And
1: <laughs> it's so funny, but it is the kind of thing that it's just it, it, the the it's less about how you appear and more about erasing distractions. So Mm. people are forced to hear the words you say out loud. And so it is really a communication tactic. I had a friend on who was on last week. People always say, you know, what am I, when I train people for media training, men and women, I always say you absolutely have to sit in the green room. You have to sit in the makeup chair just for a few minutes to like not appear to be having run from your last meeting into the TV studio, because you'll remember, I mean, the famous, most famous time that people talk about is the debate between Richard Nixon and JFK.
0: Yeah, one had sweat over his lip and, you know.
1: because one said no thank you to his makeup and the other did and had just come back from, and so Brooke gave me a whole rundown of politics and makeup. But also too, the news is so heavy right now, Corey, that I feel like having a lighter conversation from time to time, is also really fun. And it appeals to different parts of the people that listen into my show. You know, some guys, I'll I'll even put a note in my show notes to say, guys, tune in to minute 14 to find out what you need to wear to the office, you know, so you don't have to listen to all the conversation about how to do your hair. Um, But also too, friends of mine, you know, who are in the professional space who aren't necessarily caring about journalism, have sent me notes offline and told me that they really appreciated it. Because the truth is, is that they had sort of lost track of what it was they're supposed to be wearing to the office after having been home for all those months
0: okay so i have two follow-up questions to some some of the things that you just said one is uh, very serious but it might not be your bailiwick um the other one not so serious but okay. um the so i know that biden president biden isn't everybody's cup of tea but okay. if you're paying closer attention than just the headlines or your whatever your favorite channel is saying um one of the remarkable things about the administration is that a lot of the biggest piece, pieces of legislation have been bipartisan? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, whether it's Cornyn leading the negotiation, a uh, Republican senator from Texas leading negotiations on the first piece of gun legislation that passed in 30 years, or whether it's the most conservative Democrat in the Senate uh, from West Virginia leading uh, leading negotiations on, they called it the Inflation Reduction Act, but it had to do with um, health, some health care in there, some uh, some energy in there, the bipartisan infrastructure bill. So, I'm, the reason I bring it up is, or, or you mentioned um, when McCarthy was still a speaker. I thought one of his best moments was when he, when Biden said, "No, you and I are going to negotiate one on one." He didn't have other Democratic, um, you know, leaders in in the Oval with him. He brought McCarthy as a leader of the Republicans from the House, and then he figured it out together last spring uh, to avoid the financial cliff. But with the bigger pieces of legislation, are you privy to what kind of lobbying, what kind of negotiations, how do those conversations go? How do you get a bipartisan infrastructure bill, something as massive as that through uh, the House and the Senate and ultimately on the president's desk for signature?
1: With something that significant, that big, it hits every district all across the country. I mean, really, everybody, Republican Democrat in between non-voting, voting immigrant, you mentioned, I mean, everybody is using the roads and the bridges and and the infrastructure in the u s. And that issue is one that people can come together on. Uh, and I do think that the more we find ourselves in this hugely and widely divided country, we are still reminded that the only way to get real impactful legislation done is through cooperation and coordination with one another. It's difficult, there's no question. It's difficult because you have a 24 hour news cycle, seven days a week, constant stream of this guy going over for that guy. It's not serious though, Corey. It's all hyperbole, it's all baloney, if you will. I mean, it's just- You could say
0: bullshit by the way, I got the explicit rating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good, good. I won't try, I, I, char-
0: to- I won't find you a
1: quarter by I the way. I may have to say it. Um, <laughs> But that's the way that we used to do it. We are not going backwards. Unfortunately, we're already through the wormhole here. Okay, so whatever we're seeing now has altered and changed the course of things going forward. The last president, January 6th, you name it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But still true, as you mentioned, so many of the biggest things that have happened happened because of cooperation on both sides of the aisle. And as much as people like or dislike Joe Biden, I have always just in a radio interview this this afternoon before we got on to talking between the two of us, I said this and I believe it to be true. He is one of the last chief negotiators on the globe. He is someone who has always tried to find the middle road. Now, was he super partisan? You bet. I mean, that's how you're a politician, right? But. When it came down to getting in those rooms, those smoke-filled rooms, they're no longer smoke-filled, uh, <laughs> but those rooms together where you have to get things done, Senator Joe Biden was always a guy who found a way to work on both sides of the aisle with his colleagues to try to get big things done. And until we get back to a time when we can do that, we're not going to see big things happen. That's why people are complaining about the fact that the healthcare, health, you know, Affordable Health Care Act nobody's happy about the way that came together. Nobody's happy about that because it was partisan. There's a lot of partisanship that has happened over the course of the last 10, 15 years that has not made for better policy. And so the the faster we can get back to a place where we work together, the better off we all would be.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, okay, so here's my less than serious question. So I I had one um, uh, TV media hit on C-SPAN, but I have, I have yet to be invited back. Would I have a better shot if I shaved the beard and cut my uh, George Washington ponytail off?
1: (laughs) I don't know that that matters anymore. It used to matter. It used to absolutely matter. Um, C-SPAN and all of those other networks, I think the one piece of advice I can give anybody is that when they call you to check in to see if you can do their show, as long as it's possible, say yes. Yeah. The more often you can say yes, the more often they're going to call you back. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that I tell everybody, clients that say to me, why don't I do more TV? I said, well, the last three times I told you that they wanted to talk to you, you said you weren't available and not that you weren't available because you were traveling somewhere important and doing something big. It's just, it wasn't a good time for you. If you want to be asked to do TV, if you want to be asked to do radio, if you want to be doing more media hits, you need to say yes, whenever they check in. And also, check in with the producers that you know, just to say, I've got some new stuff coming up or let me know if I can be helpful. Try to find a way to get a wedge between what it is you're talking about into what the daily narrative is too. Because you know, they're always trying to build on whatever's happening in the broader, you know, whether the president's making announcement, whether there's something happening on Capitol Hill, whether there's a major news, something that's going on in Texas or California or otherwise, the best way to find yourself into their regular orbit is by checking in with them from time to time, just to say, I'm here, I'd love to be helpful to you where I can.
0: Yeah. You know, I want to build on that for a second. There's a lot of young folks uh, in their early twenties, just, you know, starting their careers who, Gen Z is just really cynical about a lot of institutions, a lot of professions, especially when it comes to politics and journalism and these overlapping uh, trajectories that you have been dealing with for your career. What would you say to young folks just coming out of school, um, just starting to make their way, uh, whether it is to encourage them or to edify them to help to bring some uh, fresh, Perspectives to to start to make their way in, in a constructive way in these careers.
1: Well, the first thing I'll say is don't get frustrated. Uh, if you have an interest in making a difference, uh, sometimes just being in the room uh, is the first start. Uh, taking notes, learning from others, and not being afraid to take that low level job, um, whether it's grabbing phones or being in the room. I took those jobs over and over and over again. But through those early opportunities, I learned so much about how to be a grown up in the room. Also, too though. Nothing is going to change unless we start listening to the generation behind us and two generations behind us. As much as we, you know, complain about the millennials or the Gen Zs or about the truth of it is, is that we are going to leave the we are going to leave this globe to them. So we better start listening now uh, because they'll have some brighter and smarter ideas. Yeah, uh, and I think that the best the best organizations I see here in in my city are the ones that are taking time to invest in young people, giving them a seat at the table asking them to be part of the conversation, asking them for ideas about what's working because let's face it, we're not just talking to the senior citizens anymore in terms of voters. The voters are everywhere. They're young, they're middle-aged, they're they're retirees, and we need to figure out a way to talk to all of them that that is resonating so that we can be, you know, that the democracy can continue and that we can be successful.
0: Yeah. Along those lines, do you see Do you see any possibility of the fever breaking? Do you see the possibility that uh, maybe the center will hold and reemerge or are things only going to get worse uh, and maybe not necessarily get better?
1: I talked to, uh, and I can't call, this is not my own original research. I have had and heard some of these things that I'm about to share with you, but I also had a great conversation with uh, with a, a pollster that's coming up on the show in the next couple of weeks, and I asked him this question myself. I said, I'm under the impression that because uh, the, in general, as you see in polling, no one's really happy with who the two front runners are today. and And it is very likely that those are going to be the two candidates that are going to be on the ballot. And because of that, because neither one of them really stands out as a standout, really um smart and enjoy like a candidate that everybody can get excited about, everyone's gonna go really negative. 2024, the expectation is that it is gonna be one of the most negative elections in our history. Um, and it's mostly because if you can't hang your hat on a great legislative victory, on a great moment, on a great anything, really. You know, I mean, I can't think of anything over the course of the last four years that Joe Biden can say, I did that and that's a big deal. And everybody's talking about it over the over the kitchen table. I don't see that happening. I know you don't either. Same is true for the former president. I mean, I'm not sure what in the world he would hang his hat on. I mean, there were a lot of good legislative and uh, policy victories in that administration, but you can't get past the fact that everything is a distraction. I mean, the, the however many indictments, et cetera, et cetera. So it's going to be really negative. But also, too, over the course of the last six to eight years, we have seen record turnout in the polls. People on both sides of the aisle have been coming out and really been agitated and activated in terms of their voting. And that part of the electorate is exhausted. They're exhausted because they haven't seen change. I'm talking really about the middle class, and I'm talking about like lower middle class, folks that really, really need government to work for them, and it's not those people have had just about enough. And it's more than likely, even though we're going as negative as it could be on both sides of the aisle, there's so much that's going to happen in 24, those people are still going to be thoroughly fed up and probably not come out to vote. So that's another piece of it. So I do think that we're getting to a place when things are, we're coming to, I think things are really coming to a head. And after we see what happens in 24, I pray and I hope that that means that we are going to get to a place where we can get back to getting work done business done here in Washington, D.C., that does affect change for those people, those disenfranchised people that I mentioned, because it's about time that we do the job that we promised them we would do for them and get back to what what folks have elected them to.
0: Now, I hear the um, the informed passion in what you're saying, Lisa. Are you still, are you politically engaged yourself in any sort of partisan way? Or is your interest more, democracy itself, like where, where are you coming from?
1: After the last election, after 2020, um, for me, I had, I put, I put country over party. Uh, I, it is really hard for me to be, uh, rabidly Republican like I used to be because so much of the, the narrative around the party has been so tremendously negative, so tremendously, um, I don't even know if there's a word for what it is, except it's turned me off completely. And I am not alone. There are so many folks like myself who worked on political campaigns for Republican candidates for so many years that have really had to find a place to do work that doesn't necessarily depend on the election outcome because it is tremendously frustrating. So to me, yes, I mean, I still am a registered Republican. I still do report, I still, excuse me, I still do support Republican candidates, I work for Republican clients, uh, and I love the work I do for them. But there are also some uh, members of the party, outspoken, super outspoken members of the party that I do not appreciate, I do not support, and I don't ever intend to, because I think that they're taking the part, par- the party and the country in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah, I wrote my uh, congressman, my used congressman yesterday, uh, he's a Republican, he's, uh Mike Garcia here in California, 27. It's one of the purplest districts in the country. Uh, more registered Republicans, but it's actually a Biden plus 12 district and from 2020. And I I wrote to him and I I, I explained why it was imperative that he find some other Republican to vote for other than uh, Jim Jordan listed uh, a few reasons. But I said, but here's, you know, aside from those specific reasons, where my red line is, I'm actually supporting our Republican uh, uh, state Senate candidate, um, a lady named Suzette Valadares, because her, when I think of Suzette and what she stands for, the first thing that comes to mind is not how much she hates Democrats. There are so many prominent Republicans, uh, locally, state level, uh, at the the national level, where the first thing that is there, uh, that how you would describe them is how much they hate their opposition. That to me is not, that's a bug, not a feature. And it's a bug, frankly, that I believe that we have to and that's what this program is all about. We have to w- wipe away from, you know, we, we want to be more of a virtuous uh, democracy, not, not one where we're identifying, you know, people that happen to have a different letter before their name as worse enemies than Putin, as worse enemies than the terrorists who just bombed my family uh, in my family's homes in Israel. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that. So I, t- I, I told Mike, I said, listen, the red line for me is democracy. You know, the red line for me is the Constitution. And when you have, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but when you have someone who literally sided with convicted insurrectionists, that's definitely on the other side of the line.
1: Absolutely agree. So absolutely agree. Do you know uh, Garcia got a vote for speaker today?
0: Oh, Mike did? <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> did he vote for himself? or like- I don't think so. I, I got not think I, so. The, last,
1: I, the states that I saw that voted against Jordan were Nebraska, Oregon, Florida, Texas, and New York. And I only tell you that because the date stamp on today is that it's October 17th when we're having this conversation. And there is a debate now on the floor of the House uh, representatives about who will be the speaker. So the the, uh,
0: the vote that went up at noon, you're, you're, uh, you're breaking news for me right here, even though this is going to be released on Monday night. Uh, so the okay. the. He So Jordan he didn't down, get the votes. He
1: did not not on the first ballot. That yeah, doesn't so, mean he's not going to try again. He will try again. But I absolutely 1,000% agree with the, what you said, Corey, and that is that democracy is the line. I mean, these members of Congress do not take an oath of office to the Republican or the Democrat Party. They take an oath to the Constitution. They are supposed to defend the Constitution. And that is what that's what we've gotten away from with some of these fringy, I hate that people even call them conservatives. I think that they're it's radical. not it's, it's not conservative. Not oh, absolutely, if, you,
0: if you've ever read Edmund Burke, if you've ever uh, watched any of the debates that William F. Buckley had you know, even into his later years in the 80s and 90s, this mm-hmm. is not a, a Burkean conservatism. It's not even a William F. Buckleyan type of conservatism or even a contemporary, a fellow who's still writing and speaking today, Thomas Sowell. It's not any kind of conservatism that I'm familiar with. Um, so I, I I agree with you hundred percent there. So um, so that's interesting. So we went to, now uh, the, the folks at Punchbowl, who I think do talk about great reporting, yeah. uh, Anna and Jake and their whole team over there, Brez, they do such a great job. If you're a geek about the hill like I am, they do such a great job. We've had both Anna and Jake on the program, fortunately.
1: Oh, I've had Anna and I've had uh, John Bresnahan on the on the show.
0: Brez so, is elusive. I'd love to get him on the show, but he, he's, he's like.
1: You know who's elusive to me is that Jake, Jake Sherman because he's so busy. Yeah. He's fantastic. Those guys are breaking so much news. But um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail no. you. But they're so fun to talk to. I love those guys so much.
0: Well, the reason that he's so hard to nail down is because he's doing old school gumshoe reporting, you know, he's, he's working the staff. He's working when he can get on the phone with an elected official. I mean, he's working the phones, he's working, you know, the Hill he he's, he's doing the work of actual reporting. It's incredible.
1: Absolutely. And John Brezhnehan has been on, even he was elusive, even when he was on Capitol Hill, like he, I swear he was in the fabric of, (laughs) I mean, you know, he was just, he was, you know, you'd occasionally see him and it was like, oh. Fresh, what's up? And he's like, <laughs> you know, moving around, amazing. Yeah. And Anna, same thing. Like, and Jake, I mean, those guys are awesome. And even the team that they've built there yeah. is tremendous. Um, Gr- and I great young that.
0: reporters with them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So J- Jake's assessment was that if he doesn't win it on the first vote, he's going to lose votes. Unlike what McCarthy did, where, where his first vote was, show me what the, the the bottom of the barrel is. That's where I want mm-hmm. my first vote to be, and then we'll build from there. Um, yep. you know, Jordan's uh, strategy is just the opposite bully people into, but if, uh, there's a, a number of people who are on the fence, uh, a, a number of Republican elected, uh, house members who are on the fence, who, if they see he goes down, they're going to come off in the second and third and fourth votes.
1: I think 20 was the number. I'm not, I didn't see the final, I didn't see the final vote count, but last I checked, it was 20 voted against him.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's. McCarthy
1: or, or for a variety of other people or yeah.
0: yeah so my guess is that garcia uh congressman garcia voted whichever way that mccarthy voted so if mccarthy voted for for jordan that's how mike voted he knows where his bread is buttered
1: (laughs) unfortunately there's a lot of that in this business yeah there's a lot of that i love the the guys the 20 that that came out and voted they voted their conscience you know they were uh either former um former military officers or they were uh they just fundamentally believe in democracy and that's the one thing that i kept hearing over and over again is that that's a hard line for me. He was in favor of what happened in January 6th. And he's done a lot of other things that are counter to what our what our goals are. And so we're not for him.
0: Also, presently, <laughs> Ukraine. Ukraine yeah, is, that. is uh, you know, the where the line in the sand is drawn, uh, you know, up until last week or a week and yeah. a half ago. Um, you know, that's the, the Middle East. There, There's a bulwark for democracy in Europe. Now there, there's a bulwark for democracy in the Middle East. And. You know it's it's time to put away partisan politics uh you know when it comes to democracy when it comes to the constitution so i have a couple other questions for you and then uh, we'll see if you have any questions for me one is uh what i call the tpnr question the talk of politics and religion without killing each other question what do you think each of us can do to be better able to share space with? We've been talking about this. Share space with, have better conversations with, perhaps even nurture relationships with people across our differences. So as people who think differently than we do, who have different beliefs than we do, who get their news from different sources than we do, how can we do better at talk of politics and religion without killing each other, or is it even possible?
1: If you had asked me this question two weeks ago, I might not have had an answer, but you actually enlightened me about something that you had recently come upon. And I've actually been using it with my teenagers and, and some of the other folks that I work with every day. Um, before you answer a question with your own opinion, think to yourself, I hadn't thought about it that way. Mm. And didn't you talk to someone not that long ago that gave you that advice?
0: Mani Guzman, she has a great that's, book. Uh, that's right. Yeah.
1: That's right. And I have to read it because honestly, like that's the one piece of advice that I've started using, even in my, you know, when, when we're having an argument about how late the, how late the teenager gets to stay out or how, who gets to get the car or whatever the debate is of the day. Cause it's always a debate here in our house. Um, I've stopped everybody to say, wait a minute, before you get all worked up about this, I want you to think about it from our point of view. Um, And that actually, it just pauses people long enough to be able to have a conversation. I also think too, that anytime we can get together in a social setting, without social media, without our phones, and really just generally have a, a, a discussion and a conversation, small group conversations, I think that that really does make a difference. Being able to talk it out, how do you see it from your point of view? How do you see it from your point of view? We used to do that all the time growing up you know, over the dinner table. And that's, it's gone away because organized sports keep us out long after we're supposed to be home having dinner with our families. And we, people are not sharing, they're not sharing those conversations over the dinner table anymore. And I look back to like the good old days when we did that. Uh, But I also think too, that the less we talk, the more we're on our phones, head down into this, into the tablet, the less likely we are to look up and say, why do you think that way? Mm. And then respond with, I hadn't thought about it that way. Right. So you actually, you actually shared with me a piece of advice that I have actually been using, I think, and I will continue to use because I do think, and I can't wait to read Manny's book because I really do think that that's a great way to to start off a conversation.
0: Yeah, she's a she's an encouragement. Monica Guzman. Uh, she's been on the program, and and uh, Manny and I have have stayed in touch um, through the organization, the Braver Angels, which is actively trying to get people together across their differences. You know, I had a conversation with my oldest kid Savannah uh, a few days ago because I saw that Savannah seemed to be advocating for a position that was anathema to me, frankly. Uh, After the bombings uh, and the war broke out in Israel, our family there is is literally under attack and her contemporaries, the kids are, um, I think there are eight of them all together uh, from our cousins there that are actively engaged uh, you know, been called up to reserves, a medic, a, a drone, uh, pilot, uh, a fighter pilot, front lines. Um, wow. and Savannah, uh, seemed to be advocating for one of the narratives, which is the framework of colonizer, anti-colonialist. I, I don't know if you've seen this apartheid mm. type of a deal. Yeah. So it, it, frankly, it just, it really bothered me, uh, because we're take, we're, it's like a version of presentism, but in a geographic sense. Um, and and it's really uh, the, the wrong framework. Um, so just to give a little bit of background, our part of our family ended up there. So, some my cousins ended up making what's called Aliyah, so they moved to Israel in 1979 from here. But other parts of the Blicks and the Crevals and the Kleinfelds and the Mertiks ended up in in um, in what's now Israel uh, after World War One, after World War II, um, as refugees. Whether it was refugees, the Murtiks and the Kleinfelds who were left in uh, Eastern Europe, Romania and Poland, refugees who there's a few survivors of the Holocaust. Um, the ones that came after World War One. You know, I've told the story many times where it's, um, <laughs> you know, the Bolsheviks were fighting the Tsar's army, the Tsar's army were fighting the Cossacks, but the one thing they all could agree on was they all hated the Jews. So the place where my family had lived in Cherniostrov, Ukraine, for uh, history tells us it was probably about 800 years, had to leave everything they had, everything they knew for all those generations. Uh, Some sought um, refuge here in the States, in Newark and in Brooklyn. Um, Other parts of the family ended up going south and east to what's now Israel. They didn't go as colonizers. They went with literally what they could, the clothes on their back, and that was it. That does not a colonizer make. So anyway, I bring it up, Because, you know, I had this conversation with Savannah uh, and, you know, in a conversation like that, I could tell her how, tell tell them how it is, Um, but it was a much more fruitful conversation because I, I wanted to hear what Savannah was thinking and what her concerns were, what her questions were, what her objections were, you know, we had a fruitful conversation and, you know, for somebody like me, I could come about it in a narcissistic way. Uh, where I'm right and you're wrong, and here's the time where you need to agree with me. Otherwise, you'll continue to be wrong. That's not fruitful, and it's not persuasive, and it doesn't nurture my relationship with my oldest kid. Uh, but I had maybe one or two. Have you thought about this? You know, just like she had one or two with me. Uh, you know, let me gently posit that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and she, she yeah. you know, they they, um, they gave me a couple things to think about. So. Anyway, uh, I, I apologize for, for um, babbling on, uh, but as as uh, folks know, I, I've done a, a few special episodes about this and more to come. This is very close, close to home. I think
1: it's also too, I love that you say that um, you need to let our kids talk because they do have thoughts and they don't necessarily need to have the same thoughts as us. I think that also too, that's a trap that we fall into, especially in the US, uh, where we see that the perpetuation of racism, the perpetuation of anti-Semitism, the perpetuation of you name it, ism, uh, can come from our parents, Mm. can come from their thoughts, and can come from our, or or the people that we surround ourselves with. And so as we were talking at the end of last week, there was some discussion about encouraging kids to maybe stay off of social media in general, because there was some discussion about how Hamas was going to be using that as as another sort of emotional weapon, if you will, um, to make some other poor choices that we don't need to get into here on this show. But I did say to my oldest son, I said, as you digest this and you learn more about what's going on in the Middle East, I want you to pause before you just reactionary. And he doesn't, he typically does. He's very smart about it, the way he does social media, but I said, I want you to pause before you comment. I want you to pause before you share, because there are a lot of sides to this, this conversation. Um, and it's one that I think that affects a lot of your friends and your family too. We are in our family are are Christian, but we have so many personal family friends. I mean, we hosted Rosh Hashanah at my house two weeks ago, uh, <laughs> for my best friend who was in town from New Jersey, who paid me with bagels, by the way.
0: <laughs> that um, is awesome.
1: <laughs> but um, but I said that, but I think too, I think that that having those conversations and and talking to your children like they are also thoughtful people encourages independent thought and encourages uh, conversation that I think really needs to be happening in households all across the country.
0: The most successful victories uh, strike me as upside down victories. You know, I was just having this conversation. Uh, Jesus's path to victory was through the cross. He could have snapped his fingers, brought the Roman, the most powerful army in the world to, you know, under his command. And, you know, a victory could have been, He, I mean, after all, he was, you know, God, you know, he was God among us, Emmanuel, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. But no, his choice, his path to victory was through the cross, through death itself. You know, there was another guy that we were talking about in the same conversation, uh, Daryl Davis. I don't know if you've ever heard of Um, Daryl. He's a great musician and he crosses different genres. Uh, He's a blues and jazz and country. I happen to be African-American and he was playing. um, I want to have him on on this program. We we, uh, aired. An interview he did on uh, another show that i did and he was playing at a country bar and this uh, guy from the kkk came up to him either during a break or after the show and he said uh hey uh you know i don't like you you're subhuman but i like your music and daryl daryl goes oh that's cool let's have a beer and they get he's from the kkk like daryl didn't know that like he just knew that you're subhuman kind of talked with him talked to him hatefully he's like yeah the guy from the KKK goes, uh, and he was like a grand wizard, big guy. Like he goes, oh, don't you know who the hell I am? He's like, well, now I do, but well, that's cool. Let's have a beer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And Daryl built a relationship with him over time to where he finally renounced his membership in the KKK to this date. Daryl's done that over 200 times. Wow. Uh, so he loved the hate out of them. It was just incredible. Um, so he's, he's got an incredible story. Um. I've, uh, I've already, uh, I I feel like I've, uh, I've indulged myself too much with, with my own stories here. Um, So,
1: so and I think that too, though, Corey, it it goes back to my original, my original point and why I got into this business in the first place, political communication is to work with people, mm. hear people out. Right. I mean, if we talked less and listened more, we'd all be better off.
0: Yeah, so I'll listen more. This is another question I have for you with yeah. uh, the Friday Reporter and or your career overall. What's next for you?
1: Wow. Well, that's a great question. That's like asking me what I want to be when I grow up, and I'm yeah. not. Sure, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. But I will say this: I love doing the show, and I. It's not. It's not my job it's like, it's a, it's a passion project. You know, I do it because I love it. I love having conversations with people like you and my colleagues that work in journalism. So the other thing that I uh, am working on, I'm working on obviously building the show, uh, but I also am building um, a platform for, for training and for, um, for performance, for people who want to be better public speakers, for folks who want to know how better to talk to the media. So you asked a question about. Um, whether you should shave your beard or those kinds of, those kinds of things. <laughs> there are hundreds, there are hundreds of people that want to know the answer to those kinds of questions. They can't necessarily afford to hire themselves a personal trainer mm. uh, to help them be better at, at public speaking or better at doing TV, but they want to do more. And so my hope is to build a, a stable of um, basically shelf ready training to help folks understand how to be better authentic speakers. And my hope is to call it the authentically speaking series by the Friday reporter.
0: Oh, great. Um, So we'll give you a chance before we wrap uh, to make sure folks know how to follow you. Uh, Mm -hmm. But before we get, and that'll also be in the show notes, but before we get to that, do you have any questions for me?
1: I want to know how you got into this podcasting business. How did you learn how to do it? (sighs)
0: So, I when I was still in New York, when I was a, a kid, um, I produced some theater in New York. <laughs> when I first moved out here in the mid 90s, I continued producing theater in L.A., uh, but also got into a little bit of independent film. And over the years, I've continued producing. So I'm a I'm not an Apple guy. I'm not an iPhone guy. I'm a you know, what do you call it? Um, What's the other one? Android guy.
1: Android, yeah. So
0: it took me a little bit longer to figure out how to listen to a damn podcast. I've been hearing podcasts for years. So wow. about five years ago, it was almost exactly this time of year. I think it was 2018. Yeah, I um, I finally heard my first podcast and I was just blown away. I think it was a Mark Marin podcast. Oh, and I loved, cool. I loved the medium. I loved how, first of all, how great of an interview. He has a certain style of interviewing, but just fantastic conversations, nonetheless. And my producer hat kicked in. And I immediately started to think about what kinds of stories we could tell uniquely, uh, in a unique way in this medium, Um, what kinds of conversations we could have. So one that I'd been dying to tell for a long time is the history. I I have some business in entertainment and one part of the entertainment industry that's really not well-known is entertainment advertising, the coming attractions and the movie posters so it's this uh series is actually coming back it's called trailer geeks and teaser gods about the greatest coming attractions of all time and the people the crazy people who made them uh and the movie posters uh, and now the digital work um so we did that for two years and it's how i learned the medium i was partnered with uh a studio called dg entertainment Um, They helped me understand sound better. I had a lot of friends in the industry, many of whom owe me favors that are editors and post-production people who taught me the post-production side and marketers, some of the greatest marketers in the world uh, to figure out how to connect with an audience and build an audience. Um, So it was, was, I didn't quite, I'm not smart enough to have planned it all that way, but to learn (laughs) all the different aspects of Doing a show, recording a show, post production on a show, marketing a show. But all Mm -hmm. the people in the entertainment advertising world uh, sort of came together and I I learned um, a lot about the different aspects that I needed to know. And then in 2020, a little bit before you started The Friday Reporter, really, I I felt adept enough in the medium to start thinking of other stories that I was passionate about. I had just read David Brooks's, um, not the newest book, the, the one before that called The Second Mountain. And I was at an age where I was starting to think, what's really important to me? What's the second chapter? Um, You know, we're, we're not we're not old, but we're not young. So, what what do I feel like I can contribute to Tikkun Olam, to healing the world, to making the world a little bit better in my own little tiny speck of the corner of the world? Right, and it was figuring out for years, more than any particular issue or any particular politician, for years. It's been figuring out how to talk to each other better, figuring out how to understand sort of a togetherness, remembering mm-hmm. that we're all members of a human community. We're all members. Yeah. So remembering people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how how to do it better. And uh, that that's this show. That's Talk I Politics. and I love that. And, I I each love other.
1: It. and it's part of the reason why I started having a conversations with journalists, because I felt like they were I mean, these they're not they're not combat. Correspondents, you know, yeah. they're not warfare correspondents, wartime correspondents. Uh, they're covering politics. Yeah. But more and more, they're getting assaulted by the audience. That they're getting assaulted by people that don't agree with them. Yeah. And I think that was super unfair. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think both of you sort of, you, both you and I arrived to this medium in a way that we wanted to affect change, even if it's just, you know, the butterfly effect, whether it makes a small impact or a big impact, we'll never really know in our lifetime. But, but I absolutely love it. So, my last question for you. Corey. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> uh,
1: what are you listening? To? What are you listening to now? Is there a podcast that you're listening to now that you like that you can recommend to me?
0: My absolute favorite podcast is this podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of it called the Friday Reporter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brownie points for you, friend.
0: <laughs> I, you know, I my if I open up my library here, it's um it's diverse. So okay. Marin is on there. I will listen to him about once a week. Um, the Mets. I got to get my. My share a Absolutely, I, get I start it. my day with the Mets. I just have to kind of, it's like a palate cleanser, you know? I love it. Um, but uh, also pl- plenty of politics. I, you know, the ones that I like are ones that are either politicians, journalists, lawyers that come from a, v- a different perspective than I do. Like one of my favorites, mm-hmm. frankly, is the one that David French and Sarah Isger do called advisory opinions. I oh, learned mm-hmm. so much about the law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're 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 real conservatives, but they're more conservative than uh, some of my inclinations. But I've learned so much about the conservative legal movement um, and and specific uh, Supreme Court cases and now the cases, all the different cases against Trump, uh, but mm-hmm. in a very even handed, academic, erudite way. So that's mm-hmm. definitely one of my favorites. But yours, I, I'm not kidding. I'm not blowing smoke up yet. Like you're you really are doing uh, God's work. I just because yeah. you're right. Journalism as a profession is under attack, quite literally. So for folks to simply celebrate good reporters and good reporting and journalism as an institution, I -hmm. think it really is such important work. You do it in a fun, lighthearted, relational way, and it's really easy to approach. So along those lines, how can folks follow you, find more information about the Friday Reporter and this upcoming series, uh, this um, edifying series that you're going to be doing and all the great work that you're doing?
1: The the Friday Reporter, you can find me at fridayreporter.com is the website. Uh, I'm on all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, you name it, where you get your podcast, you can find the Friday Reporter, but also too, if you have ideas for the show, or if you have a journalist that you love listening to that you think should be a guest, you can find me, Lisa, at the Friday, excuse me, Lisa at fridayreporter.com.
0: Awesome. Okay. So since two brilliant minds both told me this when I asked their advice, that I should ask this. It was Barb McQuaid, another great uh, legal mind, and Monty Guzman, who have already talked about. They both encouraged me when I asked for constructive criticism. They said, ask, is there anything important I forgot to ask you?
1: I can't think of a thing. This was so fun. I can't (laughs) think of anything you haven't asked. I seriously can't think of a single thing, Corey. I love this conversation. This was so fun, Um, but I promise that I will follow up with you. And I should also let your listeners know that if you haven't already heard Corey as a guest on my show, Corey will air this coming Friday, Friday before this show airs, because if this is airing next week, so Friday, the
0: that's the 20th? 20th. Yeah, the 20th,
1: 20th of October.
0: That is awesome. Well, Lisa, this I I felt like this. I felt like I'm at home, you know, like we we found uh, we found a diner on Route 88 in uh, Bricktown somewhere and we hung out, had some fries and the happy waitress special. And uh, we just we just enjoyed each other's company for an hour
1: so much. This was so fun, Corey. Thank you. Thank you. I wish you continued success in your show.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this. And as always, if you dig what we're doing here, remember. Subscribe, rate, review, and tell somebody about the show and argue with them and argue about how wrong I am and all that good stuff. It's all part of doing this thing better, figuring out how to have these important conversations in a better way. Uh, You can always find me online, at Corey S. Nathan. That's Corey with an E and S as in Sam, at Corey S. Nathan. Now, go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect, and have a great week.